0: Easy Parking with Easy Trip. Now available at Dundrum Town Centre. So you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks. Simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking. Easy Parking with Easy Trip. Dundrum. Where more happens. Hey y'all, it's LaMisha. On our last episode, number 47, I mistakenly named co-presenters from the Oscars, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, as Paul Newman and Susan Sarandon. Most sincere apologies to the late Paul Newman. And I still don't feel like they should have brought him back up on the stage. Real talk. Welcome to Naming
1: It. Where we discuss pop culture current events and how they relate to the way that we live our lives all through the lens of two black psychologists
0: naming it is dedicated to acknowledging the elephant in the room validating the lived experience of people of color coming to you from the bay area california we thank you for joining us
1: i'm dr bethford palmer
0: and i'm dr lamisha hill music on naming it is provided by lee england jr the soul violinist Good morning, evening, afternoon. Yeah. Welcome to Naming It.
1: Welcome to Naming It, y'all.
0: Episode number 48.
1: Four 8 We're here. For what? We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. We didn't say anything else about the number. I got nothing to say about the two numbers. Wow. You just, They're
0: even. Okay. It's, 40. it's It's inverse we- of my birth year.
1: I'll take that. Okay. Okay. That's It's, it's my mom's birth year. Nineteen forty eight, my mom turned uh or my mom turned zero on forty eight. Um so uh she just she turned sixty or excuse me seventy this year. Wonderful. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That was in January. January fourth. Happy late birthday, Mom. I you, already said it. You already get I know, but so I can say it again.
0: You can. You but can. We're gonna celebrate you, Mrs. Yeah. Palmer.
1: Joyce Palmer. All right. All right. Let's get into it. Um, so, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's jump into those challenges, yeah. Let's jump into the shoutings. How about you start us off? Okay. Um, so the first thing I want to bring up is just, I want to, want to throw out a, a big, um, congratulations to all the students who found out about where they're going to be going to high school or middle school or college. Uh, the decision days just kind of recently came up. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, that's awesome yeah and i you know I think we we i want to give the big ups to the folks who who got like you know into the big schools and all that stuff they people celebrate them a lot though mm-hmm. i wanna give a big ups to the folks for specifically the folks who didn't get all the choices that they wanted but who are already diligently looking for mm-hmm. opening their options by attending community college by jumping in trade school, doing whatever they need to do mm-hmm. to open up their options. So, and
0: to be on that journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, you know, I know that the deadlines for community college to start in uh, in the summer is coming up in mid-April. So all y'all who are registering, who are still in high school, but you're thinking about college, you're thinking about um, transferring, you know, in California, there's a, a direct way you can transfer um, you can go straight from JC, excuse me, from community college, straight into a UC or into a CSU, in, into a CSU, and it's guaranteed. You uh. Y- just just um, I, I want to I wanted to give a shout out to those folks because those folks are are really doing it. And in the end, y'all, when you get that degree mm-hmm. and it's sitting on that wall, it don't tell it don't say whether you transferred, It don't say whether you've been there for four years. It don't say if you've been there for six years. All it says is you got this degree and everybody got to give you that respect.
0: Absolutely. Can I ask you a little side question? Yeah. Did yeah. you get like your first choice or how? What was your process you like? You
1: know, personal on my first choices and stuff, man. i you not- your own story. I don't know. I got no. I didn't actually. Uh, well, I don't know if it was the first choice. I got. I got a choice. <laughs> you know, it's like when I, when I was a first generation college student, I didn't know what I was doing trying to get into school. My older sister helped me get into UC Irvine, mm-hmm. and that's that. I don't know if it was. I think it would. It technically was my first choice, but it wasn't. I don't think that. Um, it's not like I had like a gang of options, and that was. I don't I don't know how to explain this the right way. It was it was the choice I wanted to make mm-hmm. and even if I had other options, which I did. I had some I would have I would have picked UC Irvine. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean I think that it's it's how you get through. Like the system isn't built to show and this is real. The system isn't built to show who's a, who's going to be the most successful. They're not that's it doesn't work that way. It doesn't pick the most successful students. Mm-hmm. It picks students that they want to fit in based on a bunch of categories and a lot of power stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, most, A lot of it has to do with money, you know, and, like, do you come from money? Did you come from a place where you could get AP courses? Did you come from a place where you can get tutoring on the SAT or the ACT? Mm-hmm. Did you come from a place that was, you know, able to put – to give you a bunch of extracurriculars? You know, like, if you came from spaces that didn't have all these things. Right. Or if you came from spaces that did have them, but you were marginalized in those spaces so that you weren't, like, you know – uh, recommended for the classes because a lot of times that stuff is arbitrary, right? Right, then it's not built to 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 find those students and make sure that those students are taken care of.
0: Mm-hmm. And for others, if you're if if folks have made a choice or made decisions about their their educational paths based on the economics of it. I mean, sometimes we do have other options, but they're just not economically feasible or they don't make sense. Yeah. And and that, I think, is not something that we validate often as well in the yeah. same way. Like, yeah. oh, unfortunately, you can't go. Well, d- it doesn't matter because you're yeah. still going to get yeah. a wonderful experience and education and you're going to be on your journey. Right. And so speaking for someone that didn't get their first choice, who had a really hard time navigating like an experience of what I felt was like a failure. Mm-hmm. When I left uh, high school into my undergraduate experience, I full circle. It has made no difference in terms of where I went to undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I think the the most important part is to be persistent mm-hmm. in that journey.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm not going to I can't say that it doesn't make a difference. Um, it's something that I've learned as I've gone farther in the professional world that like Ivy does make a difference. UC does make a difference because people in power have and they, they do this. We all do this thing where we like the people who we like. So you and and ivy's a little extra with that you know like they'll they'll hire people who just came from ivy whether anyway i'm not gonna get too deep into that what what i'm what i'm getting at is uh you know go for your best option you know figure it out and think about all the stuff that goes with that it's not just about the name of the school what kind of package are they giving you like if they're gonna put you four hundred thousand dollars in debt Mm-hmm. You know, that might not be you know, mm-hmm. if Harvard's gonna put you in debt like that, which I don't think I think actually they I don't know. If if a big name school mm-hmm. is going to put you in debt like that, you have to think about are you gonna be able to make up for that debt, you know? Like because if you go to a smaller school you might not get the same prestige, but if you don't have three hundred thousand dollars in debt And you're gonna go to graduate school anyway. Well, you know, whether or whether or not you, you just it's just sometimes the economic decision, too. So there's a lot that goes into it. You should be talking to college counselors. You should be talking to parents. You should be talking to folks who've been through it mm-hmm. um, and you should be seeking out that advice. And you should be thinking about your lifestyle and like what you want to do when you're in college. Yeah. You know, speaking of, of of like getting help and stuff I, and, and thinking about where you want to go, you know, if you're out there and you're trying to make a decision right now and you still haven't sent in the letter. Um, I'm just going to let you all know that one of my mentors, Dr. Thomas Parham, is the new president of Cal State University, Dominguez Hills. It just was announced. Um, Dr. Parham. Is a mentor, a scholar, administrator. He's brought so many people um, of different genders, different races, different backgrounds uh, through and matriculated them through the through the system. He came. He was at UC Irvine for many, many, many years, part of the fabric there. Mm -hmm. And now the folks at uh, Cal State. University of Dominguez Hills are lucky, super lucky to have him in the leadership there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to like give a big ups because I'm very proud to be one of his mentees. Uh, and so, yeah, if y'all if y'all thinking about going to Cal State Dominguez Hills, then this is a good time to go. This saying. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah.
0: And so I got a couple shout-ins, too. First, right. I want to start out with Meg from UC We. Hey, Meg. Thank you so much for all the encouragement around the podcast. And if Joey is listening, uh Lamisha and Bedford at naming it we say hey also want to give a shout in to Emanuel from UCSF part of CSEO crew thanks for listening to the podcast and all the love and when I was out and about in Oakland I ran into future Dr. Louisa who also was an attendee at our one-year anniversary and was like hey I recognize you and who is on her journey in the field of psychology so going into her I think a internship year I want to say so cool. best wishes to future Dr. Louisa all right You're doing big things all right
1: okay so uh, is it is that time
0: it is that it, it is time to play the jams all right
1: so go ahead y'all do that
0: what's going on <laughs> hey you no, know what's going on <laughs> you just click that and use that for the rest of the time you <laughs> <see> <segment. laughs>
1: I think you know. There's been a lot of things going on uh, over the last couple of weeks, and um, one of the, one of the things that that's kind of popped up is, um, I mean, there's continued hate on Black Panther, right? Just so it's,
0: absolute hate.
1: Yeah. So.
0: Like the haterade is flowing.
1: Well, it's just you know. Uh, People
0: are drowning in it.
1: Well, I don't know about that, but I think that there's a particular group of folks who don't like a movie called Black Panther, and then they're trying to figure out a bunch of ways to downgrade it, even though it made over a billion dollars, y'all, in the first month. A billion. B. With a B. Like black. Black and billion, Mm y'all. Anyway, um, so uh, we found, we came across this article by uh, Monique Judge, who is a contributor for The Root, and she wrote about another article um, the the title of this article is a writer for Forbes magazine wrote an article. Oh, is that the title? Yeah. Oh, so very long title. The writer for Forbes magazine wrote an article t- Tuesday in which he described Black Panther as Hollywood's worst nightmare. You can find this article now as. Uh, Box office. Black Panther should terrify every Hollywood studio because he changed the title.
0: But the title ain't no better, y'all. It's not. It's, it's, really it's not. And, and the, like we're going to unpack this a little bit. So read the article because because clearly parts of it are just in this in this vein of like white people can't be celebratory of like black success. And I think that that's part of it. Um and then also just really utilizing negative language to say that, you know, the Black Panther as a film is taking up space, uh, taking up too much space and not allowing for other films to have an opportunity to be successful. And kind of like this, like this wham, wham, cry, cry, it's not fair. Um, but the, the interesting piece, I think, that we really want to unpack is about these titles because the language is really, really important. So the first title that the that this contributor put out was that the Black Panther becomes Hollywood's worst nightmare. And it's related to, I think, this history and this legacy of racism around Black people being nightmares in the experience of white folks, right? And then later on, editing the title to say that the Black Panther should terrify every Hollywood studio, again, in that same vein, in that same language, and I'm not falling
1: for it. I think, like, one of the things that that was, like, really problematic was... Is, is it is like this idea around um, there's not a, there's not an allowance for black folks to be successful so we have this movie and you know if it would have been a flop they would have made it a black movie and it's a flop and that's why it's a flop and blah 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 but it's made it's it's broken records it's hugely successful and now it's the the instead of undermining it by saying that it's you know a genre of film that's 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 a poor, You know, it's just like they should just make a superhero film right Mm -hmm. now that it is a superhero film and that it has crossed over completely. Mm -hmm. They're saying that it's unfair as though it's like it's the same way that they treat black athletes and black musicians and whatnot. It's like you're not you're not just better at it. You're better at it because of some sort of unfair quality like your your breeding or, you know, some magical piece about you. It can never be that it's just a better film and therefore it should get everything. It deserves everything that it's getting, you know? Mm-hmm. So this guy talks about there being tent poles, um, and like it's supposed to be one of the tent poles and that's uneven and that then he tries to connect it to like the way that Titanic Um, outstripped a bunch of movies back in the day. But the thing is, no one talked about Titanic like that. They were just like, wow, it's an amazing movie, and Mm -hmm. everyone should love it, and it should outstrip people because they did a better job, right? Black Panther did a better job. Right. You know, like, I don't... You can't get... A billion dollars ain't an anomaly, yo. That's like... There's a lot of really fun Black movies, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of movies that Black people make that are, like, great, and they're good, and they're... Mm -hmm. but. The creators of Black Panther, the way that they went about it, the way that they wrote it, the way that they uh, directed it, the way that it was it was filmed, the way that they promoted it. It was genius and it needs to be acknowledged. And there's a certain aspect of, of white media that is like not about that. They, they, they're they're not about it at all. deeply trying to undermine it and they don't want it to sweep all the, the you know, there's like all these like little think pieces that are going to mm-hmm. amount to arguments that these these academy, you know, the academy is going to listen to and read mm-hmm. and then choose not to watch the film like they did get out. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, because let's just keep it super real. We know that the people who make the decisions in Hollywood and around media entertainment and all this other stuff. There's a large component of them that are just straight up racist.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And that's the reason why it's so hard to put out black movies and things like that. So you can't I think in terms of the title, um, him trying to change the title is trying to sanitize it so he can say that I'm not making this racist thing. I'm not doing this racist thing. But he's coming from a racist space, saying racist stuff. And the title is still freaking racist.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. And so as as the rhetoric will continue, we just want to encourage people to just name it as you see it, yeah, because it's going to it's going to keep on until all of 2019 and the Oscars of 2019.
1: Yeah. So we'll just see what it what becomes of it. Yeah, it's going to be funny how they're going to deal with a two or three billion dollar movie by that time. Because mm-hmm. it was a month, y'all. It was a month. They right. made a billion dollars in a month. Right. No one's even talking about it, really.
0: No, not really, and not in the same way of like, can we have articles that really can can compare? Maybe they exist, so so I'll dig them. I'll do some research and see if they do exist. But to compare, like, where does it fall next to all of these other, you know, renowned films that came out throughout the years? Mm-hmm. Whether it is Titanic or Avatar, some of those other like really huge mm-hmm. films, mm-hmm. and where you know where does it stack up in terms of? You know, time of exposure and ticket sales and other pieces as well. And then finally into the award structures, because that's going to be a really interesting piece to see as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Real talk. Um, And I just also want to point out that when we say a month, we mean a black people month because it happened in February. And so when people are saying a month, people are thinking 30 days. It was less than 30 days. It was 28. It was around 28 days. So they did a black history month. No, I'm just saying. Even if it was, it'd still be short. So, like, yo, I'm just just putting it out there, y'all. Like, Black Panthers, Black Panthers, Black Panther, deal with it. Um, but so, what else? What else is going on? Let's, let's, so,
0: so right now, um, you know, as the day that we are recording this episode, there's an event happening across the nation: March for Our Lives. hmm. And we just wanted to check in with y'all about some of the dynamics that are happening um, with regards to media and the coverage and the engagement of young people as they begin their journey as activists.
1: Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about March for Our Lives, we're talking about young, light-skinned, white, whitish people, right? Like, it's—I I, I feel like we have to, like, say that because there's been Black people, Black youths trying to deal with this gun violence piece for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but but and this is not you know let's let's keep it super real um i'm happy that we're moving forward on this and i think that the kids who are talking actually have good things to say and they're you know all that stuff that the problem is is that there are other kids talking who don't get any kind of mic space and there's actually articles about the some of the key activists in this march for our lives movement who have who acknowledge that as well Mm -hmm. you know so um when we're talking about this i think there's a uh When I've talked about this, like, in spaces of um, people of color and, like, around black people and stuff, there's always this kind of feeling, and this comes out, I think, a lot in different spaces, like, where we've been talking about this forever, and then some white people talk about it, and suddenly...
0: That's classic.
1: Right? You know, um, I think that that's the feeling that people had with the Me Too movement, even Mm -hmm. though, you know we talked about this during that episode. I actually, I've had time to, to actually have interactions with um, with Toronto Burke. And um, I was able to hear her speak about her interaction with Alyssa Milano mm-hmm. and how Alyssa Milano was immediately, as soon as she found out that there was this appropriation feeling going on, she kind of embraced Toronto and like made sure that Toronto was everywhere that she was at. And so like, it was not really an Alyssa, a Melissa. Alano thing around the the appropriation, but it did kind of happen around, you know, like, white people and white people trying to take a message. Um, uh-huh. So uh, Toronto was really clear. She wanted to be really clear about that. So I think that that's something that we should be clear about, too. But that said, you know, there's what happens between individuals and then there's what happens societally.
0: Right. And the... Awareness of these dynamics that occur, and people who are in their own walk or in their own journey, you know, stepping and not realizing the ways in which perhaps um, media and bias. And all of the whitewashing can occur and impact them. Mm -hmm. And they are a proxy of some of that. So right now, Time Magazine just released a cover of the Parkland student activists. Mm -hmm. And it's a a really interesting representation because of the makeup of the school.
1: I guess what I noticed on that cover is is the the lack of any, um, you know, obvious black people. You know, like, I don't know how everyone there identifies, but, um, you know, when you're talking about race, there's a color piece to it. And there's a way that they did the shading and everything that made the people look very homogenous, even though there's diversity within their ranks. Uh, but definitely no blackness there in terms of like something obvious, which is weird. Right. Because in the in in every press conference, you see a couple of black students behind. The students, but they never got the mic, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, uh, one of the students, um, what's his name? David Hodge. Mm -hmm. He has been talking. He's been rather vocal about the fact that the media has not been um, covering the black students from his school. He said there's like 25 percent, his school's 25 percent black, but you you got some other numbers.
0: Yeah, so U.S. News uh, and World Report puts out statistics about uh, high schools across the country, their class rank, their size, demographics. And so um, the... Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School has approximately 3,000 students, and the diversity uh, that's reflected is approximately 7% Asian, 11% Black, 18% Hispanic, and 61% White.
1: So I don't see my 11%, right, in this depiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's very... It feels very purposeful.
0: Yeah, and I and I would say that the same goes for they did. I think CNN had a town hall, and again, the reflection of the audience was very homogenous as well. And so, kind of going back to what you were mentioning about the dynamic with Tarana Burke and Alyssa Milano is the 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 ways in which media will attach to and give more light to um, voices that are white in yeah. different spaces.
1: Yeah, the, you know, I, I think everything you said is right, and I think it just it kind of goes back to this idea um, that this isn't new, and most of the movements aren't new, um, and in, in a really kind of irritating way, a lot of the movements for social justice do start in the black community, mm-hmm. and they don't get heard until white or light or however you want to put it, voices get put into the into the mix, then they get covered and then suddenly it's a it's an issue.
0: Right. And I think the challenge that that we've seen and the struggle I think for folks in some of these spaces, if you think about the women's march and like just the the inability to see the bias and the privilege that they hold, I it's it's going to be important, I think, for these young people, and it's it's nice to see that they're already giving voice. Because by by proxy of having the privilege of being being front and center, it now becomes, I think, part of their responsibility to elevate those voices and to call in um, those other students of color and to call out the dynamics that are happening and not just continue on in, in their in their footsteps. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, what I wonder, and I, I wonder this. I want to leave some space for this, but I'm I'm pretty sure this didn't happen. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the, the callback, but when they were at the mics, there was no I don't I don't I didn't see and maybe the media didn't show this. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't see any of those black students being brought to the front to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, it, it's great to, like, point out that the media, the you know, it's, it's great to point out coverage. But I think that if you're an activist um, and you're trying to use your privilege, then sometimes you need to move out of the way, and instead of talking about black people, let the black people talk. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, and I think that that's something that, you know, we're, you can look at the coverage of the March for Our Lives and see whether that's actually happening, and that's happening right now, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But if it is, then that says one thing. If it's not, it says another thing, because they are aware, hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that they they can continue to be more aware because it, it's it's going to be like you said, handing the mic, stepping out of the way, recognizing the dynamics that are happening, and it becomes. Unf- now I don't know if unfortunate is the right word, but it, it's just an interesting process because then the responsibility in that moment is is laid with the person with the most privilege, right? Oh and, yeah, and they and even if they're a young person themselves, even if it's, if it's if it's Alyssa Milano who receives the invitation to speak. You know, it's in that moment, it's her duty to, to step aside and pass the microphone. Right.
1: So, I mean, and that, that's the power of, of, of the privilege is that you have the mic so you can pass it whoever you want. Um, so, I, I, you know, we've been talking about this and I think it relates to um, some other things. And I think that, like, maybe we can move to Real Talk. Absolutely. So, Real Talk. Real Talk. Let's um talk about what's going on with. Um, People bombing folks and suddenly, I don't know, I, 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 I'm i trying not to, to I, I, Can I can't help but be snarky, yo. Be snarky. You got, you got this grown-ass white dude who's bombing people, primarily people of color. He killed two black folks in Austin, right, sending bombs to the mail and dropping them off on people's doorsteps using tripwires and all kinds of crazy stuff. And everybody wants to humanize him in the press, but you got a brother who was shot and killed by police in Sacramento, California, mm-hmm. in his backyard, and he had no weapons. Um, if you watch the video, the brother was gunned down basically in like— I mean, In they, the middle of the dark. It was the dark. They had lights on him. They turned this corner and immediately were like, gun, and then they started shooting at, at this guy. They, they shot him 20 times, mm-hmm. and there's a video of it, right?
0: They shot Stephen Clark, Stephen Clark. 20. Stephen
1: Clark 20 times, mm-hmm. right? And people, the, the immediate response that you get is, what did he do wrong? Right.
0: Right. And and if you're listening, regardless of the the multiple identities that, you're hol- that you hold, if your brain did that, if that little voice popped up and said, I wonder what he was doing, please recognize that that is a product of bias and all of these things that have happened to Impact your unconscious mind in such a way that even that voice
1: just pops up. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's gonna be popping up, and when it pops up, you gotta check it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't like. I I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I I can't give them that because it's not a little voice. It's this loud ass racist voice that people have in their head. Everybody's and, got it. Nah, but some people got it more. You know and. And I don't want I mean like I, I know like when we do multicultural competence stuff, we talk about how everyone holds certain belief sets and whatnot. But the real the reality I, I feel like the reality is is that there is racism in the world and there is like um like unaddressed um uh, bias that you if if after all the stuff that's happened, mm-hmm. all the videotaping that that's happened, all the, the evidence of uh police misconduct around this type of thing and the first thing that pops in your mind is what did he do what did he do wrong why did he have a phone in his why hand Why is he
0: running in the backyard why yeah. is he in the backyard why yeah. he Whatever putting inputting any type of yeah
1: like what that means and so i'm not even gonna make a judgment i'm just gonna tell you exactly what it means if you are thinking about that then you are accepting the premise that a black man not behaving like the police wants him to behave, regardless of what that behavior is, without any kind of um, nuance or any kind of connection to real danger. If you disobey the police, you can be summarily executed and it's fine. That's what that that feeling is. That's what that thought is. It's like, what, what did he do wrong? You, there's nothing you should be able to do wrong you know outside of actually having a gun and pointing it at the police and even if you do that if you're white in america you still usually live right but if you're a black dude in america and you have anything if you turn towards the police while they have guns on you you're likely to be killed and that's just true you know but like you know and that that's 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 a whole i wasn't even but like what we're trying to get together on is just like the covers like the it the way that people are talking about mm-hmm. this this white man who sent bombs to people, this bomber, this terrorist, right? And not wanting to call him a terrorist, not wanting to call him a bomber, wanting to call him, like, wanting to humanize him, right? you know, to everyone. And then uh, juxtaposed, no one even wants to talk about the fact that this brother got killed.
0: Absolutely. You know, we've talked about the mechanics of white privilege and the presumption of innocence, um, and it continues to come up. And I think that when it comes up, we definitely still need to call it into question. Uh, I think it's it's not just in the context of black men with regards to the police, but this automatic assumption of what did he do?
1: Mm -hmm. What did he do? Well, I mean, it's I think there's an assumption and we talked about the assumption of of, of innocence, right? Um, So if you don't remember uh, this, this idea, it's not the assumption of innocence that comes from our justice system, the. The quote-unquote assumption in innocence. sense it's mm-hmm. like a privilege-based assumption in the sense that was uh, posited by uh, Colonnade. basically this idea that if you have privilege in a society, then people assume you to be innocent regardless of what's going on. So you can literally have your hand in the till pulling money out, and people are like, "How are we misunderstanding that?"
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: And that happens for men. That happens for white people. That happens for people who have money wealthy folks. It happens for folks who have, who who, who generally are assumed to be okay and who they are identity-wise, right, because they're connected to some sort of power system. It's the same difference for people who are cis and straight, right? Like, if you're, like, there's no nefarious thoughts about cis straight people and their sexual predilections, even though, like, they're the majority, and if we're talking about, like, odd, strange sex, whatever, you know, most of that's coming from the straight community, you know? So, but when you think about it, because of the way that people are, are we we, 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 we kind of assume there's something wrong, we're always, anything that we assume it's to be different or homo- wrong, we're going to put yeah, we're going to put it with, like, folks who are different. Mm-hmm. So, in this case, we're talking about, you can see it, you can see, like, the, 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 the way that The bomber is they're talking about they're talking to his family. They're talking about what kind of uh, the bomber. They're talking to his family. They're talking to like the people around him, his roommates. And they're they're trying to one. They're trying to make all of these people innocent right around him Mm -hmm. because it's not it's not his mom's fault. She went to this church and the church was good, even though it was evangelistic church. And we know that evangelistic churches have a whole issue around black people but they had to make sure that it was clear that it was a it was a um it was a multicultural church like in the in the coverage and
0: I just think it's ridiculous that they even incorporate and include all of that nonsense in the write-ups and in the rhetoric because you can just see the level of inequity you know I uh, is the media going to talk to the people that are around him sure Absolutely. Do you have to print and write quotes that, oh, he was describing him in all of these other positive adjectives and all the things that they do? No, you don't have to do that. And that is part of the the humanization of white, whiteness and of white folks. To give further validity to their experience and to their existence at the expense of Black folks in America.
1: Yeah, so you know there was this this interesting article that we saw by Michael Harriet that uh, he titled it "Despite Terrorizing Black People, the Serial Killing Suicide Bomber Was Not a Terrorist." Well, he's white. Um, There's this really cool passage in there, and um, and I, I thought it was it was it was. It was very inspired. It's it's kind of complicated to read. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Let me show
0: All right. So I'm gonna to try to read it, but y'all can go ahead and check it out. Check out the article on the newsletter and you can see it in visual form because that's really where a lot of the power is. So Michael Harriet writes, As we unpack the twenty three year old who took away the safe space from black, cross that out. No, insert, people of color in Austin, Texas, we must admonish ourselves not to jump to conclusions. It's too early to call him evil. Maybe he was, quote, deeply troubled, like Parkland, Florida, mass murderer. Nah, let's cross that out. Insert, quote, broken child, Nicholas Cruz. Perhaps Condon was like Kenneth Gleason, the, quote, clean-cut American kid suspected of the lynchings, racially motivated murders in Baton Rouge, Louisiana.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the way he did that, he's, he's basically substituting um, the more, um, I don't know, whitewashed way of saying saying these things, the things that, that the press, I think, he thinks should say, mm-hmm. um, uh, the things that they would say about a black person or a brown person or a Muslim person in the, in the same space. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, and he writes for The Root, but I'd be curious to know if, if he's ever gotten feedback about, you know, sanitizing or neutralizing the words that he uses. I
1: bet you he has. I mean, like, and I, I I mean, I think in the writing I've done in certain spaces, I've been, you know, people will tell you if they don't really if they're not interested in multicultural or like social justice oriented writing and they do it in weird coded ways. And mm-hmm. so I think that um, when we're thinking about this, uh, it, it it begs that we be more critical of the, the, the voice of. The reporter you know mm-hmm. like what are we hearing you know why is it that one is not being reported on in the first place because like there was when it was just black people getting blown uh-huh. up it really wasn't coming out in the press nope. suddenly it's blown, there's explosions in the fedex office and whatnot it's it becomes more uh newsworthy but i i personally think that a package blows up on it on a black leader's doorstep And kills their son, Mm -hmm. you know, or blows up on doorstep and kills a man. And then another one they took inside. And the son actually, I mean, imagine this, a teenager brought a package into their home Mm -hmm. and then opens it and then blows up and kills him and maims his mom. Like, it's horrific. It's it's deeply horrific. And the fact that the press doesn't think that that kind of bombing Mm -hmm. is important enough for it to be at the front of everything.
0: Right. And if it does not trigger, you know, the history of bombings and the terrorism of black people in the South and in other spaces back in the day.
1: Right. I mean, this is in Austin, Texas. Right. Mm -hmm. If that same thing had happened in like anywhere, anywhere. And it was a white family. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you know, And, and God forbid it be like connected to someone who's brown, right? If there was, I mean, there would have been a a, a, a person hunt, a manhunt for everyone involved and everyone involved would have been like in prison for a certain amount of time before, like they, they had their roommates in there. I don't know how long it was like, I don't even think they were in questioning for a day, mm. you know, but if it would have been, if this was like Rashid who had done this, everybody, his family, his friends, his dog, would have been impounded. You know what I'm saying? It would have been crazy. But they, they, there's all this um, this care right. and difference and assumption. Again, we go back to this assumption, like everyone around him must be innocent. And in fact, by the way, he's kind of innocent, even though we have this whole like video that he did of himself uh-huh. talking about his problems. He's just troubled. Right. Right. You know, you move past troubled. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm You move past troubled when you start bombing people. Then you're just a murderer.
0: Can we also talk about the infantilization that happens? Oh, yeah. Visually, you know, when we talk about why are young black boys being prosecuted and treated in ways that grown men aren't treated?
1: Well, I mean, like uh, uh, when you're when you're saying infertilization, like that's happening to the white folks, right? So, right. like, like this this man, this 23 year old man, man, is being spoken of as though he's a boy. Yes, you know, and
0: and the and the picture fi- and the pictures that they that they have chosen to portray him right, also has that energy, right? Well, I don't know where
1: yeah. they got these photos from. Yeah, I mean, and they do that. they like, I mean, there's there's documentation of the fact that they'll show mug shots for black suspects and then they show like graduation pictures for white suspects. Yes. You know, and so what's so irritating, right, is the bald-facedness of it, right? Everyone knows this now. We've been talking about this since naming it started t- Start talking, right? We've been doing this for almost two years now and we were talking about the same thing in our third, second and third episodes, mm-hmm. you know, so... It's not like the people in the press don't know these things. People have been talking about it. We ain't like we ain't, we ain't telling like, you know, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. We're not evangelizing evangelizing on the mountain. You right. know what I'm saying? We're just saying about articles that we already done read. So these people know this and they still do it. That right there is, again, what I'm talking about, about that bull faced, nasty, racist stuff. Uh-huh. Like there's people making decisions about this and they're saying, we don't care. We're going right. to do it this way. Right. You know, it feels better. Uh-huh. You know, what I'm saying this. I don't this kid, this kid, you know, this this 23 year old kid,
0: you know, 23 year old nerdy kid. So was it also trying to say, oh, that he was smart.
1: Yeah, he was smart enough to make bombs. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what does that have to do? with I mean, like, he is a bad person. If there is a definition, right, this is a murderer, an indiscriminate murderer. Children died because of this dude, this dude killed a 17 year old kid, mm-hmm. a 17 year old child. He killed. Right. With the indiscriminate bomb that could have been a three year old child. You know what I'm saying? So like any idea that this is an OK, redeemable person. I'm sorry if there's if if anyone is non-redeemable, this dude is non-redeemable.
0: So I want to talk about the tactics, though, because I think that we this came up also when we spoke about the young people and March for our lives and how it has taken taken how. The youth in Black Lives Matter movement have been ignored and silenced in those processes. And where is the? Where do you think that the accountability lies in raising awareness to to these tactics and these in these processes? Or, like, do do people like need to call out the media on this, or absolutely. like you know, like because it it continues to happen? And I and I would say that for me, what's just coming through more more so is that. These are clear tactics. It is no longer like this undertone or an a mistake or a happen chance. There's, they're clear tactics that are repeated and used intentionally to perpetuate the the drive of racism in in the, in the country.
1: Well, I mean, I think that you know. So it's funny. I was just. Uh, um reading notes of a native son, uh, notes from a native son from uh, Baldwin. And he was talking about black press and press in general in there. And it's the same argument where um, there's this need to have a separate press because the white press is not going to take care of or deal with issues that are important to people outside of white folks. And they're not going to give a narrative that's going to be empowering to people outside of white folks. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't a new issue. It's been a problem that's been going on since since race. Right. I think that what we have to understand is that people propagandize using the press and the media and the media is part of that and it's complicit in that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that's one of the reasons why you have to have um, you know, black creatives like doing things like what we're doing with naming it in the other podcasts out there, because no one like you're not going to hear this on CNN or you're not going to hear this on on MSNBC when you start getting deep into it. Because if you want to get real with it, you know who you would have heard it with? Melissa Harris Perry. Mm. You definitely would have heard it with her. Shane on no more. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, like you I think that we we have to acknowledge the truth of things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you can't get any news from these cats, but it's like you have to be critical. You have to have a critical mind as you approach every single story, every single article. And you can't get caught up in fake news ideas either where you don't believe anything. Mm -hmm. It's just like you got to look at it and say there are themes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. You know, I, I don't have the answer for how we push more accountability. I think that you do that by making student journalists more accountable. Right. So that they grow up to be professional journalists that are more accountable. I think that you you put pressure on 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 media companies and figure out how you can go after, like, for instance, boycotting specific products that are advertised on specific outlets that do like poor coverage and that's worked in the past. Um I think it's it's what they did, they they went out and they disrupted a Kings game. Mm-hmm. Right? And so they like went in, they surrounded the stadium and they basically made it so that they had to give ticket refunds to people. And then these these dumb press people come up, I'm sorry, yo. Like you're gonna ask an activist who's trying to, to amplify the message about about the death of Stefan Clark, uh, whether they care about ticket being refunded and the stadium losing money so like yeah so do they
0: feel bad about someone not being able to go watch their game right with their
1: kid right so we should worry about people who have enough privilege to buy game tickets not getting their night out to watch black people run up and down a court who aren't getting paid what they need to get paid in there and we don't have to go there right because yeah it's just i mean it's 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 crazy to me that they would even fix their mouth to ask that question. Because if I was an activist, I would have said, I don't care. They said, I don't care. I would have said more than that. That's
0: the point. That is the point. Well, That's the activists the,
1: it, said they don't
0: care. I know, but yes, and and the point of the protest and the point of the process is to be disruptive. And yes, right. and the, and the responsibility for that person who has you know maybe took you know their their twelve year old out to the game, you know, unknowingly encountered this protest. Right? It's not oh, these people are terrible. You should you should take that moment to have a conversation with your child or with your significant other or whoever you went to that game with, yeah. and to have a real conversation about yeah, this is important. Yeah. And, you know, you learned a lesson yeah. and that is worth the price of that ticket if it was refunded or not refunded. Right. right. It was worth that experience because you got a new experience in lieu of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's for great people. I would love for folks to jump in and be part of the protest and all that stuff. But either way, I think that if we're trying to disrupt systems, we have to do it system sy- systematically. Um You disrupting the king's game, making the people who run that lose money, makes them look at the city and say, what the heck's going on here? Mm -hmm. Right. And one way or another, this needs to be fixed. And so you need to be able to come back with solutions. And and how do we deal with this? I mean, one of the things that we've talked about before is just in terms of like, you know, before we you know, I think we're going to run out of time soon. But like um, the idea of how do you deal with policing? Like, how are we going to bring accountability to policing? Because it's not accountable right now. You know, like mm-hmm. these officers, who another article talked about how they turned the mics off on right. their cameras mm-hmm. when they were deliberating what happened. So they, uh, that as far as I'm concerned, that's obstruction of justice. That's like making a conspiracy, right? Because they don't want to. They're obviously being conscious of the fact that whatever they say could be used in court because this is all evidence. So they block that evidence off. The fact that they could even do that, I'm sorry. No, you know what? People at McDonald's. When they're working on the cash register, they can't turn the camera off whenever they're uh, feeling like talking. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who work under surveillance. A lot of people work under surveillance and most of those people don't hold guns. Right. So the idea that police officers need some sort of privacy when they're on the job. Fuck that. I'm sorry. Like the cameras need to stay on. There should not be a button to turn it off. And they just mm-hmm. need to comport themselves as the public service servants that they're yeah. saying they are and mm-hmm. that they demand respect for being, you know? And, and, like, I'll say it again. I've said it before. I don't respect—I can't respect somebody who's not being respectable in their job. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just straight up. So this whole—I um, don't know. I, I, I Obviously, this this uh, makes me angry. But, should, um, you know,
0: and that's a, that's a whole other experience, you know, moving through the world and— You know, as as a black man, you know, Bedford, like it's it's real and it should make you angry and you get to be angry and feel all the things that you that you feel. And for all the other brothers out there feeling all the things that they feel, um, because where are you safe in the world?
1: Right. 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 Well, that's um,
0: that's a real experience. Yeah. Moving in the world and. And everything and multiple messages consistently being reflected back, back at you about aspects of your identity that are perceived to be um, wholly negative, wholly derogatory. It's unacceptable.
1: Yeah.
0: And people have to walk through the world that way and put on and put on a smiley face and, and compensate for other people's fear and compensate for other people's ignorance.
1: Well, except for if you bomb people and you're a 23-year-old white man. I know? should
0: be very clear that black yeah. men have to walk through the world this way.
1: Well, we walk through the world like we're all bombers, right? And I can say that to to Muslim folks. And I, it's not just black men. It's black women, too. Like, people of color, people who aren't part of this mainstream, like, we walk around with the stigma that we're always guilty and mm-hmm. that it's just about figuring out what we're guilty of. and. That is, I think, the 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 crux of all of this is that if you if you if you don't see us as people worthy of voice, you know, worthy if you don't see our pain as as pain and you don't see our deaths as deaths and you don't see um, our oppression as oppression, then you're I mean, I don't know what to, I, I don't see how you can see yourself as a moral being. Absolutely. Um, and. Yeah, I don't know that, you know, I, I think we're trying to find a way to wrap it up, but there's no way to wrap it up because, you know what? People have been writing about this for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. you know, so we're not going to wrap it up with this episode today. What 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 I think we can just say is, you know, we need to keep having this conversation. We need to keep pushing forward and we need to be organized and we need to make these these changes because, like, straight up, he was in this backyard. Like, I got a backyard. Just saying, oh, mm-hmm. I have a phone. I have a backyard. It Could happen to me, right? And for sure, that 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 is something that people live with, and um, that's that's part of the cost of living in in this state that we live in. Um, so yeah, so, yeah.
0: So let let's wind it down there, y'all. You know, we we just want to encourage y'all to to get in the conversation, get in the dialogue, get in the movement, um, engage in actions, and continue to you know, push forward and be a part, be a part of something better.
1: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's close it down.
0: All right. So we will post up all of the articles, resources, everything that you, that we reference in our newsletter. So for details about the topics mentioned in this episode, check out our website, nameyapodcast.com. Go ahead and scroll down and sign up for our newsletter. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Podcasts.
1: Right, check out our store, pick up some gear. We still got that going. You know, grab a mug, grab something. If you like
0: what you heard, leave us a review. You can do that on iTunes or on Stitcher. And if you want us to talk about something specific, go ahead and send us a message or tweet, and we'll try to bring it into the show.
1: All right, and where can they find you?
0: They can find me on Twitter, at hill.
1: And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere, Dr. B.F. Palmer, D.R.B.F. Palmer.
0: And as always, we want to give a special shout out to Music on Naming It, provided by Lee Inklin Jr., the soul violinist.
1: All right. uh, So that's it. Episode 48.
0: 48. Keep naming it, y'all.
1: Peace.